podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Chessie Hour. You're joined by me, your host today, Babs. You know, I know it's been a while, but I know you, I know you guys missed me. I know I had to come back, but you know, here I am. And I'm joined by um two um two special guests, you know, two Discord re- re- regulars, you know, that they're, they're they're they've made a name for themselves in the streets. So I'm gonna start with um obviously the more familiar man like Joe. Joe, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. Hope everyone's blessed. That's good to hear, that's good to hear. And we got a, a new face, you know. Somebody that I, I don't, I'm not sure if all the listeners will, will be familiar with, but I know some will be. Um, Ayub, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, brother. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Listeners, as you can hear, you know, he's he's, he's coming in order from New Zealand, so he's up New early. Zealand, just, that, just... Australia. Australia, Australia. I thought I don't know why I thought it was New Zealand, but yeah, as mm-hmm. you can hear, as you can hear, he's coming in the morning. What is it, 8 a.m. for you? It's 7 a.m. right now. 7 a.m. Boy, yeah, so, hey, he, he's, he's committed to the cause. But yeah, let's get let's get straight into it. So obviously, you know, it's been an insane week as a Chelsea fan, you know. Obviously, there's a lot more bigger issues going on in, in the current um, scheme of things in the world, you know, with the stuff going on in Ukraine and Russia. But obviously, you know, as us being Chelsea fans, when it comes to one Russian, you know, that there is one that comes to mind and it is the... Mr. Roman Abramovich, you know, he, he bought us in 2003, you know, 140 million. You know, it's been, what, 19 years now. You know, it's been a long, long journey. So a lot of people said that, you know, he'll, he'll probably become, you know, bored of the club. You know, he'll he'll sell it off eventually or he'll use it for X, Y, and Z. But, you know, it's almost coming in. A, it's almost ended in a bit of like a poetic manner in the fact that, you know, the only the only reason he had to let go is because he had to, you know. The only reason he let go is because he had to let go. So yeah, I'm going to come over to you, Joe. What, what, was your, what were your immediate reactions, you know, 
coming coming into them, coming into hearing this news because I know obviously there was a lot of like discussion about him selling. A lot of people were saying, "Oh, you know, he won't sell." There was a lot. Of, there was a lot of arguments. So, what 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 was your initial reaction when you when you first heard the news drop? First, I was shocked. Initially, I was shocked, but then I kind of just said to myself, "Did he really have that many other options?" Because it was kind of becoming a witch hunt in a sense because they're speaking about him every day in Parliament. Articles are coming out about him and his dealings, which I really can't really speak on because I know nothing about. But what is public knowledge is he does have a relationship with the guy that is doing all the madnesses right now. So he is in a very sticky situation. And as we all know, he loves the club. He loves Chelsea. So he doesn't want Chelsea to be collateral damage. Plus, at the end of the day, it is very hard for him to be here right now with everything that is going on because it is a very serious issue. So as much as I was shocked and, yeah, I'm saddened because he's put a lot into Chelsea in ways that a lot of other owners haven't. So, yeah, I'm going to be sad because of all the memories we've had with him, but I also got to be realistic and it's like he doesn't have that many other options. Yeah, definitely, definitely well put there. Definitely well put together there, Joanna. Hey, what, what were your immediate reactions? And I, I know you had a, a couple of things to say on this. My lad, I'm straight. Like it was, I couldn't believe it at first. You know what I mean? Having to, like, you know, I'm 27, so this guy's basically all I've known my whole Chelsea career, and I have to deal with bros. Now we're gonna have to get into that grind of Arsenal, Liverpool with these American owners. It's just crazy to think about. At the same time, you can't be selfish, you know. He seems to be a very good friend of Putin in this international situation. Right now, that's kind of crazy. So, really sure there was no other option. But Carlisle is scary right now. I don't know. I'll try and stay positive with it, but you never know with these American investors, man. Straight up. Hey, as you can, as you guys heard there from Abe, you know, you can hear how passionate he was. He even said his Chelsea career. Not, not even, not even him as a, as a fan. Him as his Chelsea career. So you know how loyal he is to the cause. But yeah, you know, obviously, you know, as as Joe said, well, well, well there, and as well as Abe, you know. It was going to have to happen, you know, and in terms of like what it means for Chelsea, we're going to have to wait and find out. But, you know, let's think, let's focus on the positives for now. Let's let's just think about like some of our greatest moments under Roman Abramovich, you know. The guy came in, you know, he invested the money, he won the Premier League, he did it, he did it back to back. You know, there have been many moments where we've seen him celebrating on the sidelines, you know, celebrating the pitch of the players. You know, there's also been some some downward moments, but you know, let's focus on the on the best moments. So, guys, what what would you guys say like your best moments on the Roman Abramovich? We're gonna start you in. Man, my, my, obviously the double back in 05, 05 and the back to back league seasons, Ancelotti's 09, 09, 10. There's been so many good moments, bro. Straight up. Uh, obviously, 2012 Champions League is the greatest of all time. I can't lie. Even the 2021 doesn't compare with the 20, 2012 because that match, I did not expect to come out with anything. The way Bayern were pumping us all game, I thought we are finished. And to come out with that, that's probably the greatest Champions League of all time, in my personal opinion. But, Joe, what do you reckon about that? I'll have to agree, to be honest. The Champions League in 2012 was just, it was a landmark moment for us because we know when he came, that was something that he was really wanting. And, like, as you can see, he sacked a lot of managers to get to that 2012 trophy. And it's like, with the crop of players that won it for him and the manner we won it in, it kind of sums up 
Chelsea in a way because we were the underdogs and we had to battle it through and we had to win it in penalties. And I feel like that moment when he when we won the Champions League was just different. And yeah, I gotta say that's the greatest moment under Roman. I definitely have to agree. You know, I'm, I'm even just thinking back. You know, all the things that led up to you know that that Champions League in 2012. You know, beating um, Barcelona, beating Napoli. You know, some of, some of the comebacks we had to enjoy, you know, even beating Bayern in the final, obviously, you know, there's been so many great moments that even one podcast alone, you just can't really cover it. You know, it just shows, it just goes to show you just how important of a man he was to the football club. And obviously, you know, we're not going to pay him out to be, you know, this is a, this amazing person. But when it comes to an ownership, you know, we probably will never, ever see anything like this. You know, somebody who loves the club so much to be there every single game you could be, you know, he, he invested as much as he could. He didn't even want the 1.5 billion that we owed him back. So it just goes to show you just how much he was in love with the football club. And obviously, you know, that there may be there is that's that's not all, you know, positive, but and we'll obviously come back to that later on. But it just goes to show you just how much he did care for the club. As you said, and even though people thought, you know, it was just like this, you know, toy for him, you know, he he really did have love for us. And yeah, it would definitely be interesting, you know, going into the going into the future. Let's 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 keep going. So um in terms of the greatest Best and worst signings under Roman Abramovich, guys. What, what who comes to your mind immediately when 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 I think of when you think of the best uh, signing uh, that Roman uh, made? Go on, Abe. I, I I can see you're you're eager to go there. Bro, the worst signing. There's quite a few, bro. I don't know if it has to be Morata. I don't know if it's Timo Werner. I'm gonna have to do top three for me. It's Morata, Werner, and Bakayoko. Man, those are the three worst signings I've ever seen. Like, I genuinely can't believe how bad Timo is sometimes. Like I literally can't believe this guy's a professional footballer. It is ridiculous. But what, the just for the best as well? Yeah, for the best as well, for the best as well. But the best has to be Hazard, man. Hazard, Drogba. Top three for Hazard, Drogba, mm, Kante. Those are the best three Ooh, stars I've seen. Yeah, that's a, that's a good top three. That's a good top three. Yeah. I think even the worst thing is, is, is a tough one because... There's so many that you come to, to think of, like, uh, you come to think of, you know, you think of Adrian Mewtwo even, who we signed earlier on, and how quickly, you know, obviously, it obviously didn't work out for reasons off the pitch as well, but just how quickly that, that went sour. Uh, we don't want to get into those off the reason, off the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we think that's of even Kepa. That's what Kepa. Kepa. That's what yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. We even think <laughs> of, um, like, a, like a, a Kepa, you know, 72 million, but, Obviously, you know, we, we, we were able to, like, you know, we, we kindle something out of that. Um, Joe, what, what, what about you? What would you say are your best and worst signings, you know, under Roman Abramovich? I think when we're speaking about the worst, I'll do a top three as well. I'll say the worst for me, Morata, followed by Torres, and I'll say, I'll say Kepa personally, like, for me, not a fan, never have been. And the best, like, is between, for me, top two, actually, no, top three, Hazard, Drogba, Kante. Then three, the impact they had on the club, the moments, it's undeniable. Mm, agreed, agreed. And when you really think of Chelsea, you know, in, in the areas that we've had, you know, in under, you know, from Jose to Carlo to Conte, you know, if the, if we're really talking about areas like we're talking about those three areas in particular, you know, th- those are three players that you know really signify those each those those, um, those individual areas. You know, we, under Jose, you know, Roman asked him what player do you want. He got him Drogba. You know, you know Conte. 
you know, it was Hazard. And even before, obviously, before Conte, you know, when we were, we were doing the whole interim thing and we just won the Champions League, you know, the magical moment, we go and sign Eden Hazard, who obviously, you know, was an absolutely wonderful player for us under Roman Abramovich. And if you were, if we were to say, you know, in terms of ability-wise, I, I think it would be pretty hard to argue, you know, against Hazard as being, like, the best player that we've seen, you know, under Roman Abramovich at Chelsea. And it's definitely an interesting one to, to see how we're going to go, you know, in the future in terms of our signings, because obviously this... um model that we're currently following, you know, in terms of like making these big money signings, you never, you never know, it, it may just be coming to an end. So let's, let's go, let's, 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 um, let's talk a bit more about that, you know, in terms of, in terms of the signings. So obviously, you know, on the Roma, we, we've been known to make these flagship signings and a lot of, a lot is made out of the fact that, you know, when you look at our top 10, you know, most expensive signings, you know, there's barely any hits. So do you guys think there's any potential benefits there, you know, long-term in terms of, um, you know, potentially change your model or do you think the only way is down? I'm gonna start with you Abe. Uh that probably looking at, if you look at it from one perspective there's a lot of positives. There might be some positive in terms of the sustainability of the club, who we sign, who we sell. We have to be a lot more calculated about it now. We can't just keep signing big money signing expecting them to to do get the numbers but when they don't we just send them within a year, 18 months. So there are some benefits. But I don't know really, really and truly. When you actually think about it, man, we were actually spoiled for so many years. We never had to think about the other, other clubs I have to think about. And right now, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even know what to do. I don't even want to say about it. Like, <laughs> I can tell this really hit you. I can tell this yeah, really, man, really like, hit you. Actually, you actually take it in. Like, this guy was just, he was really and truly Uncle Daddy Roman. Like, he was Wait. really and truly just giving us anything we wanted. But right now, I don't, know what, I don't know what this means for us, but at the same time, we are one of the Europe's biggest clubs. We are one of the world's biggest clubs. So I do still expect some money to be spent. But whether we can spend that as stupidly as, as we have Marita 75, Kepa 75, Roman 100, you know, Starboy have it's apparently 75, 100 million all in. But I don't know how to say it. I don't know, man. Right now, we still have... Oh, fuck, I don't know what to say. Man. Yeah, it's definitely, That's interesting. It's definitely, definitely interesting one. And Joe, what, what, what do you think? You know, obviously, you know, Academy aficionado, you know, I know how you are, you know, what, what do you think? Do you think there are any positives there in terms of, um, you know, potentially moving away from that model, you know, because obviously we've we've been having to be a lot more self-sustainable and it has come at the cost of the academy players as like, you know, selling to buy them. But what, what do you think are the potential positives there in terms of changing from that? Well, to be honest, it could go either way. The owner can come in he can put money into the club or he might be more cautious, more into the self-sustainable way. I feel like it's more about the approach we decide to take. What kind of players are we trying to sign? Are we trying to develop players from the academy? Are we trying to sell them off to use to buy these players? I feel like that's more important. The scouting, what kind of scouts, what levels are the scouts, where are they scouting, what kind of talent are they scouting, what kind of criteria are they using for the scouting. I feel like those things are the more important things that need to be addressed, not just the fact whether we're going to get money or not, because we can get all the money in the world and we've seen it, Roman's giving us it, and it can be hit and miss. So it's all about how we approach it. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Approach would definitely be something interesting. And I guess it's one of those things we're definitely going to have to wait and see, you know, in terms of the new ownership. You know, a lot has been made out of um, the, two, the, the, cons the consortium, you know, that's currently being built up, you know. 
I believe a, a, a man named Wiss and another another American businessman, you know, who are interested in buying Chelsea. And I feel like they've I've, I've read that they've, they've made quite a big group, you know, so far. So that would definitely be interesting to follow, and we'll definitely have to discuss that, you know, as the news unit breaks. But obviously, you know, to round up this some um, quick to, to round up this um section of um you know Roman Abramovich and just like how great he was, let's let's do his greatest eleven, you know, greatest eleven um of um Roman Abramovich purchases. So just players bought under Roman Abramovich, keyword they bought. So. Not not any academy players, but just any players that we bought. So let's start in goal, guys. So obviously, you know, if you look at the, our, our history of goal games, we, we've been quite lucky. For being totally honest, you know, obviously, Kepa's been like the main hit, the hit, the main miss. Sorry, <laughs> the main miss. But obviously, you know, we've had um Courtois, we've had Petr Cech, and then we've had um Edouard Mendy. So guys, who who are we putting in our in, our, in, in goal for our greatest eleven of the Roman? Has to be Czech Landau. Has yep. to be Czech. Check. Definitely, definitely, definitely. You know, a, a goalkeeper that has the record um clean sheets, you know, he's conceded the fewest amount of goals in Premier League history in the season. You know, it's pretty hard, you know, to not put him in goal, you know. So let's go pet check and goal and left back. Boys, who 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 have we got in mind? Ashley Cole. Cole. Defo, 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 defo. You know, someone that came up came over from the Red Side of London. You know, he 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 knew he knew what was going on at Arsenal. You know, he knew that the only way there was downwards. You know, they weren't there to compete, they weren't there to win. And he knew if you want to come win, you got to come to the winning side. You got to come to death row. You know, and that's what he did, and that's what you, and that's where he came to come and win. You know, he won a Premier League, a Champions League, FA Cup. You know, the list goes on. You know, what probably one of the greatest left backs you've seen in Premier League history, and bought for an extremely cut price. So yeah, let's go over to right back. You know, right back is another interesting one because. Obviously, you know, we've had um two stalwarts, you know, there um, in in um Ivanovic as well as um Aspilicueta. But I feel like it's a tough one with Aspi because you've seen him predominantly being played at left back, you've seen him play played at centre back. So that's definitely gonna be an interesting discussion. So boys, what what do you guys think in terms of um right back and why are you going with the choice that you're gonna make? I'm gonna start with you, Abe. Um Well, I think I'm gonna have to go with Ivanovich purely because you know his whole career was um just a right back, you know. And I remember mm. when he came in, he was third choice. I remember that those two headers against Liverpool, you remember those two headers against Liverpool in the quarter five? Yeah, Champions League, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then he just kicked on from the you know a few league titles on this belt. Obviously, he missed out on the Champions League final, but he was massive in that Champions League run. That goal against Napoli, even Aspie, don't get me wrong, Aspie's been a great, great um player for the club, but I'm just gonna have to skip old school for myself and say Ivanovich. Yeah, definitely. I think that's definitely a fair enough choice. What about you, Joe? What, what, what do you think? You know what? I'm going to go with Aspie, you know, because just over the span of his career at Chelsea, he's played right back, he's played left back, he's played centre back. And I just feel like he's always been sturdy and even more than sturdy because I feel like he at one point he had like a record for like not being beaten one v one in defensive duels and it's like he's been a solid rock for us for a long time and like even when everyone felt like he was finished and I was one of those people he like proved me wrong and it's like I just feel like for all of that I just gotta choose him. Mm, definitely, definitely. I think that's definitely a fair enough choice, and I probably would have to agree. You know, although he didn't play, you know, fully at left back, you know, and we look at you know a, a guy that's won it all with Chelsea. You know, I feel that could be 
it'll be hard not to, you know, really include him in our greatest 11, ever 11. So let's go over to centre-backs. So centre-backs definitely going to be an interesting choice here, you know. We've obviously had some amazing centre-backs. You know, we've had a legendary John Terry, but obviously, you know, he wasn't brought under Roman Abramovich. So it's going to be a bit of a tough one there. So, guys, who have you, who have you guys got as your centre-back pairing? I'm going to start with you, Joe. Since Terry was the academy player, we'll just leave him out by technicality yeah. to make it easier for us. So... I'll go with Thiago Silva just because, like, for everything that he's given us in this small period of time and for what he's going to probably give us in the foreseeable future, he's just been nothing more than amazing. Like, I just, I'm just blessed to have a player like that in our team that's just rubbing off on all the players and just like, he has fallen in love with the club and his performances are just amazing. So I'd go with him and I'll say David Luiz just because, like, when we look at what we demand from centre-backs now in football, like, we want them to be able to be comfortable on the ball, to be able to play out the back, to be able to not be scared on the ball. And I feel like that was something that Luiz, like, like, exemplified. That was his game. That was his trademark. Even though, yes, he had his moments, I feel like he was a very big player for us. So I'd go with him. Definitely, definitely. I think that's definitely a, a good two shots there. What about you, Mayo? Oof. I'm going to, obviously, I'm going to have to get Thiago Silva without a shot. But that's, that has too much quality. His, um, uh, his composure on the ball, his ability to deal with situations. He's a very special player. And I was going to say David Luiz at first, but then I completely forgot about this one player we used to have, which is... Um, Ricardo Carvalho. So I'm going to have to say Ricardo Carvalho. Just his overall quality, his his toughness, his tenacity on the pitch. He was a big, big player. And honorable mention to Alex as well, because I got fucking hit a free kick from 50 miles away. Man. So I got honorable mention to Alex. Shout out to Alex, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. That's definitely a tough one, but I'm going to have to agree with you, know, A of there, you know. Including in our first ever, you know, Premier League win, you know, Ricardo Carvalho, you know, a stalwart in the defence. One of the key players in in what was a record breaking team, and I think it would be, definitely be hard not to go with him and Thiago Silva. You know, you would just have to imagine just how good of a defense that would be in their prime years. You know, obviously David Luiz, I think that's definitely another good shout. You know, definitely somebody who really, you know, was 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 a was was some was a, was a kind of a defender that people didn't really I don't think appreciated at the time. You know, someone that could play out the back with ease. You know, he would he would set up attacks by himself. He'd create assists that people would be thinking like wow like we, we just haven't seen this before and obviously I feel like now you know the ball playing centre back has become a lot more appreciated you know but if we're talking about you know the the more modern day you know the real the more modern day innovators there in terms of that positioning you know David Luiz is definitely a name that comes up to mind. I just want to say um, something about David Luiz yeah um go for it some man. of the pundits like Gary Neville have no right to talk about David Luiz I'm being <laughs> Some of these pundits like David Lewis, I'm sorry, Neville and Carrick have no right to talk about that boy. He is 50 times better than what anything they could ever be. Preach. Like, Gary Neville and Johnny Carrick need to shut up. I'm not sure this or not. It's a PG, G friendly art. <laughs> do you, bro? Do you? No, because Gary Neville's a cheeky little one. He's a cheeky geezer, that one. That guy can't play for shit. But yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I, I do think that the. the the harshness of David Luiz is definitely something that 
was definitely it was definitely a bit overboard, but you know it is what it is at the end of the day. So in terms of midfield, you know, guys, what what are you guys thinking? You know, we've seen some amazing midfielders, you know, under Roman in in his day. So, hey, I'm going to let you take it away. What what would be your midfield three? It's going to be a midfield. I'm just going to do something for the pivot with Fabregas and Kante, man. Ooh. Prime Fabregas, Prime Kante, that one undefeated. Underfeel, I'm telling you, undefeated. We can't say Lamps, though. Lamps wasn't a Roman signing up. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, I, I, was right. even, I, was even, I was even thinking of Lampard for you. I was thinking of somebody else, but. Oh, big matter. <laughs> big matter. Really? Fair enough. You, you don't think it matter? That's no, no, but if, if that's your midfield three, so you're, yeah, you're so saying it's gonna be Kante, Fabregas, just the you know what's that what's that what's that TikTok video? The, the register all of the <laughs> Fabregas is a proper midfielder with Kante. That's that'll be unbelievable. If I don't know what matter. So yeah, that's my midfield three. And yourself, Joe? Um, quick one: Was Balak signing on the Roman? Yeah, Balak was a free yeah, time in the room, and yeah. Oh, that makes it techy. Okay, I'm gonna. Um, okay, cool. I'm gonna do like a midfield free of Kante, Balak, Fabregas, and then yeah, midfield yeah. Yeah, just midfield three. Yeah, I'm gonna go with yeah Kante, Balak, Fabregas. Fair enough. I think that's an interest. I think that's an interest because you know we've seen some amazing footage. I'm, I'm surprised none of you said Essien. You know, I'm really surprised no, no, nobody here said Essien. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that that's, that's, that's that's a big one. That's, that's, that's a big one to to miss out. You're right. We've also got like some Claude Makalele, you know, Nemanja Matic, who I think was a big part of you know of, of our success under both Conte and Jose. You know, there's so many names that you know that you can really like fit into that midfield. So it's definitely a tough one. I think in terms of both of you, I definitely have to agree that Kante has to be there. He really does. You know, one of our best ever players that we've ever seen in the club. I feel like that's that's, that's a tough one for me to ignore. So for me, I'd probably go Kante, Essien, and I would want to go Makalele, but. I don't think I appreciate him as much as the, the, the older the older lot would have. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Kante, Essien, and Fabregas. I'm gonna Kante everything. I mean, I think that midfield three there is it's pretty hard, you know, to, to really look over. And in terms of front three, you know, left wing, I'm pretty sure, you know, we've all, all in agreement with who's gonna go over there, you know, Eden Hazard, you know, one of, of the best seven players that we've seen in the club, one of the greatest that we've ever seen in the Premier League. The best you know, the best wing in Premier League history. Put that out there. Yeah. A, a player that, if not for him, you know, if not for his cell, you know, who knows what would have happened. But yeah, you know, yeah, I think it's pretty hard not to go with him there. And um, I'm gonna make it a bit tough. So right wing. So who who, who do you guys have there in terms of a right right wing right wing choice? I'm gonna start with you, Ayo. Mm, listen, um, I like to say Iron Robin, but really and truly, I couldn't really take him in like that. Well, we need to come 0405 I was probably nine, ten years old, so that was a difficult to say. But uh, name, give me some wingers that were in the club. Like, I like, generally can't remember any right wingers. Mm, right, you know, right, right wingers. I remember one. Let me, let me say one. Go for it. I'm going to have to say, <laughs> I'm going to have to say Beluda, man. That guy. Beluda. Beluda, man. <laughs> Fair I'm enough, saying man. Beluda, man. Fair enough. Because if it was up to me, I would have put, put Mata there because Mata played Ooh, wide on occasions. 
You know, you got the likes of Damian Duff. You got there's, there's a couple, there's a couple of the other players Joe, like that. Joe, Joe. Uh, yep, Joe Cole uh, as well. Joe Cole. Yeah, yeah right. fair enough. And what about yourself, Joe? Ooh, right wing. I remember Robin. I remember Damien Duff. Obviously, I'm Irish, so Damien Duff was a big, a big person for us growing up. But I'll just have to go for Mata because the moments, the magic, the things he did, he was just amazing for us. So I have to go Mata. I don't think that's a fair enough choice. And obviously, striker. You know, it can only be one man, the big man, the man for the moment, you know. A player that I feel like is a bit underappreciated, you know, these days. You know, a lot of people like to make jokes about, but it's got to be him, you know, Didier Drogba. The king of the final, you know, the king of the bridge. You know, we've had some amazing moments with him up top. And, and for me, it's got to be him at striker. I don't know if there's any disagreements there, but i leave it to you guys. Oh, do you guys disagree with that one or? Nah, nah, you guys... nah, of course. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. Yeah. The, yeah. Started, the whole prem started playing with one up top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the first, you know, real initial that like, target man, you know, one up top. And yeah, I feel like that that's like a good place, you know, end it in terms of like the, the Roman segment. So obviously, you know, at Chelsea, we, we like we like to be a bit more, we like to be serious, you know, we, we like to have our banter, but we also like to, you know, have like more measured discussions. So obviously, you know, there's been a lot made of, you know, with um, Roman having to sell the club. And I know a lot of people on, on, online have been talking about, you know, oh, you know, how amazing a person he's been in terms of um, funding for the NHS, you know, um, the, the plan to donate the proceedings um, of the, some, some of the proceedings of the cells um, to the Ukrainian victims. But I know a lot of the reason why that, that is seen as, um, as a positive is, is, is well, the, the best way to put it, you know, in long and short is, is sports watching, you know, in terms of um, an individual, you know, coming over to um, increase their um, actual reputation, you know, through the use of like owning like a club, you know, just, you know, just to like boost the target reputation. Obviously, you know, there's been a lot made out of that, you know, in terms of um, the Newcastle ownership, you know, Man City, PSG, you know, it, the, the list goes on, on and on and on. So obviously, you know, in terms of a new ownership, it's definitely something that's going to have to be like, you know, looked into because I know the Premier League is looking at... Um, the human rights element now when it comes to allowing new ownership. But I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on, on that and as well as um your thoughts on um, Jamie Carragher, you know, the likes of Jamie Carragher, you know, J um, um, Gary Neville, you know, who have been quick to come out, you know, to discuss, you know, Roman and, um you know, why you should be, like, got rid of, etc. But I just want to get you guys' thoughts on, on that in particular. I'm going to start with you, um, a Oof. You know, Joe, you, you start off, man. I'm still trying to collect some thoughts on this whole situation. <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's, it's a heavy one, isn't it? A heavy one, Joe. Yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very big one, Joe. Well, to be honest, I I'm not a big fan of the politics, but what I will say is that it is a slippery slope when you start to point when everyone starts to like if you're gonna do the human rights thing you gotta do it for everybody you gotta be consistent because at the end of the day it's like all these issues affect everybody on their everyday lives every day so it's like you can't ignore one but in this situation it is what it is like 
it's just a situation where he himself understands he needs to step away. But when it comes to the people like the Carragher's, the Neville's, I feel like they need to just calm it down a bit. Like, we know what, like, we, we haven't forgotten Carragher's incident. Like, he's not an innocent person. Like, he can't be out here doing the moral compass. Everyone just needs to just step back a bit and just self-reflect and just stop trying to play the good guy. Definitely, definitely, definitely agree. I think that's that's I think that's a definitely a, a good way to put it. Ayo, do you have any thoughts, or do you want do you want to move on from that? Yeah, um, Gary Neville, man, I'm telling you, this someone has to do something to this bloke. Someone has to do something to him. This whole like, <laughs> it's peak hypocrisy. Like it's peak hypocrisy. No matter how you look at it, as in, if you want to target Roman, like Joe said, if you want to target Roman, slippery slope. If you want to target Roman. So let's start talking about all the owners in the Premier League. Let's further let's start talking about the British government. Let's start talking about because it's all bullshit to me. It's all bullshit. Like you don't care about people, you don't care about human beings. Well, you care about Europeans, obviously. We know that, but you don't care. Saudi Arabia's look what they're doing across the world. Look what America does. Look at America. People don't even take in what America does to people. And we're here talking about American investors. Where you think where do you think these people make their billions from? Chinese sweatshops, Nike, Adidas, the whole world's involved in this kind of bullshit, man. So let's stop the virtue signaling, man. Straight up. Tell tell the guy and Jane characters. Fuck off, guys. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, de- it's definitely an interesting one because, you know, a lot of people are, are quick to, you know, to come at Roman, but I, I think it would definitely be interesting you know, to see the landscape of football over the next coming years because, obviously, you know, all the money coming in, the richer and richer the owners are going to have to be. So it would definitely be interesting to see how um stuff like the, the Newcastle ownership is, you know, is tackled in a couple of years. But let's move on, you know, a, a bit more, you know, now because, obviously, you know, Last week, Sunday, we obviously played the um, League Cup final. I know it was a tough one to, you know, really uh, come back home. I want to get you guys' thoughts on, on that in terms of the game as a whole and just how, how you guys are feeling, you know, coming off of that coming off of that defeat. I'm going to start with you, Joe. To be honest, it was... It's a hard, it's a hard game to really be too mad at the team because... Actually, no, I take that back because I just remember the chances that we missed. But yeah, we did play a de- we played a good game. We we didn't sit back. We weren't passive. We we pushed. We pushed Liverpool, and we took them to penalties. And it's just yeah, we made the sub, brought on some guy that's meant to be a penalty expert. And yeah, didn't so, say so, so, the so, interrupted there. So you you you've obviously you know made a shot there at Kepa. So do you think it was the wrong decision from um Thomas Tuchel there to sub out um, Mendy or what? what is that really? Um, what, because obviously not a lot of people obviously you know make the reference to you know the um the super cut, you know other penalty shootouts and other penalties that you know Kepa's come up to save. So why in particular do you think that was the wrong decision? And um yeah, just talk walk me through that one, Joe. I think at the end of the day, as much as they say Kepa is this like penalty god, like we've seen him in many shootouts. Yes, he's had them, he's had a couple where he's been good, really good. But for the majority of what I've seen, I don't think he's amazing. And at the end of the day, Mendy is our number one. And if we're bringing you on, to save penalties, you've got to save penalties, at least one. Konate's penalty wasn't great, didn't save it. Van Dijk's penalty, he was standing on the side where Van Dijk shot. Van Dijk 
still shot there and he did not even get enough on it. Like, so for me, we just need to dead this hole. He's a penalty expert and just stick with our number one. If we need to rest Mendy, we bring Kepa in. But for me personally, I'm just not really a fan of the whole bringing him on because at the end of the day, it's just a luck thing, in my opinion. Interesting. Ayo, what do you think? Do you, do you, do you agree with Joe there? or? Uh, or where, where it's a tough one because hindsight, obviously, foresight, you know, hindsight's more important. Like, you know, whatever they say between hindsight and foresight, you know what I mean? But uh, let's not forget about the shooting technique as well because that was absolutely shocking. But if I was in Mendy's situation, I'm going to have to look at it as in, I just want the Afghan. I just want a penalty shoot at the Afghan. I was incredible throughout the game that what's it called the stop against Mane, the save against VVD, Van Delegate. And then to just get benched for Kepa, 6-4-1 Kepa, I'm 6-6, six, six, I'm saving all types of shots. I think yeah, it's a bit it's a bit disrespectful to many in honesty. Like I don't know why everyone loves Kepa. I don't know everyone thinks Kepa is some penalty god. But yeah, something you know, like the VVD one is the most embarrassing one. Like you stood on the side that he shot and you still missed. Like, how do you do that? How is this possible? And then the shooting technique to finish it off, my goodness gracious me. <laughs> he took a goal kick from the penalty spot. A goal kick from the penalty spot. This guy is ridiculous. But other than that, it is what it is, man. Um, Yeah, man, back to you, Babs. I don't even know. Yeah. Definitely interesting because um, obviously we have seen it, you know, work, you know, in the past in terms of the Super Cup and other competitions. But I, I definitely think it's going to be an interesting one going forward to see what... um. Who Cordas decide to do because after the game that Mendy did have, you know, in terms of you know he saved God knows how many chances of, of Liverpool and really kept us in the game. You know, it would have been definitely interesting to see how that would have played out. But obviously, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing, so you got you know leave it leave it as it is. So obviously, you know, we're, we're still in the FA Cup. We've just beaten Luton, you know. So obviously, potentially, you know, have, who knows? Maybe we will have another you know a, a, another cup run another chance, you know, to really right the wrongs of them last year. So before we even move on from the game, so I want to get you guys' thoughts, you know, on, on the performance, you know, in totality, you know, obviously we, we saw the guy himself, Kai Havertz, you know, the, the big game players, a lot of people are, are now calling him, you know, we saw him perform well, you know, so guys, what, what, what do you guys think of the, the performance of the players, you know, in general? I'm going to start with you, Ayo. Um, I, really, I personally believe that most of our, most of the starting them did really well, you know, Kai Havertz was, for me, that was probably one of his best individual points I've seen probably this season. You know, his tenacity, the aggression, the technique, the ability. You know, he did a lot. He put a lot of chances on the plate. He had a few offside goals himself. Um, Pulisic, yeah, he did miss that chance, but he, he sort of redeemed himself, especially with that um, past amount. And, you know, I'm going to let you guys talk about Mount because I don't really want to talk about Mason Mount. I personally think Kante wasn't that good. I thought Kante was getting dominated at certain situations. Trevor, at first, yeah, I did think he was getting smoked by Diaz. Oof, but when you look back at it, Diaz didn't really do much. You know, 15 no-look passes, no goals. I think he contained them well, as I've said on the main podcast. But, yeah, that's it for me. I think overall, I think we should have won that game, clearly. We should have won that game, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Well, what do you think, Joe? You know, obviously, you know, um, AF just made the, the, the point of, you know, um, the chance that Pulisic made for... Um, I believe Mounts, as well as also the run he made, you know, in terms of like that that first chance in the first half. So, what do you think about the performance, you know, in totality? And do you think there's any positives that we can that we can take for going into the season? To be honest, yeah, it was it was a really good performance. I can't even lie. However, he was doing what we wanted to see him do consistently throughout our season. 
You want to see him come deep. You want to see him good touch, be able to hold up the ball, be able to bring other people into play, but also be able to get yourself into goal scoring positions and most importantly, put the ball in the back of the net. Um, obviously, he was a bit unlucky. Pulisic, I felt like he had a good game. This is the kind of game you need. You'd expect him to thrive in a lot of transition play. He found himself into a good position and the finish was just... He could have done better. I think he took on his weak foot as well. I'm pretty sure. And yeah. I felt like from when I was watching him like find his way into the box, he like he had enough time to, I feel like, take that shot better. I feel like he just underestimated who was in goal. But outside of that, he played well. The chip pass for Mount, like... These are the things that you expect from a professional footballer at the level of Chelsea, which is something he struggles with. But against Liverpool, he did it. So I'll give him his plaudits. Mount, it's one of them games, isn't it? Like, he gives you some good bits. He gives you some bad bits. He should have done way better on that chance. And when I look at the midfield, Kovacic had a good game. He's had a really good season. Like, I've really been impressed with him this season. Kante, I don't think he had a bad game, but he didn't have the most smooth game either. But I feel like that's more down to the shape and the fact that we had the double pivot while Liverpool were operating with three midfields, so they were outnumbered at times. And at the end of the day, we know how good Kante is. So I can assume that there was instructions to not let Kante breathe because if you let Kante breathe, you will be in trouble. Defensively, um, I feel like, yeah, defensively we were calm. Um, Trevor, he had, a, he had an interesting game for me. I feel like Diaz Defo didn't let him rest, but at the same time, Trev kept pushing. He didn't coward, like he got on the ball. He was doing what we want to expect from a centre-back, get on the ball, push forward, be brave on the ball, take people on. He did that, I think, on two occasions, even created a chance for Rom, which should have been onside, I believe. So, overall, I've got to say, outside of Kepa, I feel like everyone was great. Like I feel like, in, most importantly, the attack looked very competent. And that's what we expect as a bare minimum. And I feel like Tuchel now, we give him all the plaudits and the praise for everything he's done. This is the time where Tuchel really needs to really be brave and look at Rom and look at Kai and ask himself, like, is he really still going to try and force both of them together? Or is he just going to go with Kai and develop him in that nine false nine position and rotate him and Rom when suited? Because... We've seen the difference when both of them are in those positions. And we know that all the players that we play with, the Pulisic, the Werners, the Callums, the Ziyech, they all link up better with Kai. So instead of us pushing Kai out to the left, to the right, let's just play him up front. I feel like that's the most important thing that I took away from the game, that we need to have Kai as the focal. And we need to go forward with that. Whether it's a free at the back or a four at the back system, Kai needs to be up top. Uh, but let me just say something. Um, going back about the one thing I'm happy about in regards to that game was that the whole world saw 
our finish our issues because a lot of people they do this whole agenda on social media where they they'll let's say throughout the season let's say we've played 40 games this season people have probably watched maybe five to ten games Chelsea max the same way I've only watched five to ten Liverpool games I don't have the time to watch all these matches and then they'll throw these outlandish statements about certain players and they'll say oh why hasn't Tuchel improved attack why hasn't Tuchel improved attack I'm just happy the world saw what we have to deal with on a match to match day basis because some of the really true that was a 3 0 first half. No, you're not 3 1, Sadio Mane should have scored as well. But I'm just happy the whole world got to see what we have to deal with on a match to match day basis because some of the agendas they push about two shows and two show proof the attack. Come on, man. Some of this shit is unbelievable. True, but then at the same time, you could argue that how long has he been forcing Rom and Havers together? He's been playing Kai out on the left, playing him at the right. Like, like we've seen when Rom was out and Kai was playing up top, even though he wasn't scoring, we were seeing a bit more connection, a bit more I don't fluidity with the attack. And obviously, yes, the finishing needs to be better than like everybody in the attack needs to get their crap together. Like. It is embarrassing, but we do need to actually ask Tuchel. Like you brought Rom in, you were saying if Rom's fit, he's playing, and the proof is in the pudding. Like we saw him in Inter. You guys have all the analysis. You're able to have all the data to see what he's good at, what he struggles at, and you had Kai Havertz, who you said you were developing, who you put all this time into and gave all these chances to. Then you just push him to the side. You got to kind of ask Tuchel, like, what was your thinking there? That's yeah, all you think not, I have to say about that. I'm not saying Tuchel is completely blameless. I think Tuchel has, does have to take responsibility for the situation. But at the same time, Tuchel has come into the squad and he's been given a forward line. Really, but he's, uh, he's been given a forward line of what you might call superstars to an extent, or franchise players, you know, Ziyech, Werner thinks he's an important player, Ziyech thinks he's an important player. Lukaku thinks he's an important player. Habits, most of the squad thinks they're important players. Um, when you and we've got about seven players competing for three positions on the field. How what is he supposed to do? If one player, like we've seen it so many times where one player is having a shocking match, starts has a shocking match, another player comes off the bench, does well for 15 minutes, boom, he starts the next match. And it's the same cycle. Yes, Tuchel is a party at fault for them. At the same time, what can you expect? He's got massive egos to sort of keep on side. I hear that, but then you could also say, and to be honest, I'm 50-50 because I believe the players also, they are professional footballers. This is Chelsea. They do need to step up. But I also need to say that like, we are playing with a three-at-the-back system where we have three centre-backs on the pitch, which means we're either going to have a lesser number in midfield or in attack. So more time we're going to have these attackers which are more suited to being wide attackers playing as inside forwards and it's What's only your opinion on that? do you think do you think that do you think this inverted 10 is the same thing as playing out wide? i feel like the free of the back system is more suited for the wing backs to really enjoy as we saw when james and chilwell were playing but with all i would say is that if you're gonna have these set of players, you gotta look at what they're good at, what they're not good at, what they where they're thriving. As Tuchel said when Ziyech was playing well, that when he was playing out wide in the four the back system, he was more at home, more comfortable because that's how he likes to play his game. Yes, he likes to come into central areas, but he likes to be able to do that from wide 
positions to be able to come in with the ball. He has a better picture of the game. Same thing with Callum. You could argue the same with Pulisic. And it's like, I get it. You want to make sure the defence is good. You want to make sure that the um, midfield is protected. But at the same time, you're seeing that when before Chua got injured, James, everyone was looking good, looking sturdy. He did not try the four-at-the-back system. But then when everybody wasn't fit, that's when he started to try it. And it's like, imagine if we had all these players fit and he actually tried it. I'm not saying you've got to go away with every game, but at least try it. You've got a pre-season out of the way. And yes, it might not have been the way you would have liked it with too many players, but you could have tried it a bit more. And at the same time, it's like you've got to look at the players you're playing and look at the connections they have on the pitch, which players are linking up well. He's mixed, he's mixed and matched too many times. And it's like there are certain players that link up better with each other and they haven't played enough together. And I do understand that he needs to keep everybody happy and it is going to be a long season. But I do feel like we got really hold Tuchel a bit more accountable as well as the players too. But Tuchel is the guy that gets all the praise. And it's like, if we want to close the gap, close the gap to City and to Liverpool, we have to improve in that sector. We can't keep making excuses. We've got to keep exhausting every single avenue. And I don't feel like Tuchel's done that enough. Yeah, it's definitely interesting one. Because I know he obviously mentioned you got the, what, the seven, seven, eight players, you know, compete with the three spots. But I do agree with Joe. I do think that also does lie with Tuchel. Because at the end of the day, you know, he's had, you know, the first initial transfer in the summer. It's like, you know what? If you want, if you know who you, you know who you're going to want, you know who you, sh- you should know who you're going to want. You should know who you're going to want in the attack. So you should be able to like, you know, really narrow that down to a couple to like a, a few less, you know, options and, you know, really, you know, limit that um, obviously, you know, having, obviously limit that, that um, potential for having a mess in the attack. But obviously it will definitely be another opportunity in the summer to really come back to that. But it will definitely be something interesting to, you know, really follow up on, you know. But obviously, you know, obviously yesterday we just beat Luton Town FC 3-2, you know, a comeback, you know, who would have fought it against Luton? But yeah, well, I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that game if you watched it. Um, so what, what do you think of, um, you know, obviously, you know, Timo, Coming to the lineup and you know, obviously having that big effect as you know in terms of getting the two goals and an assist and two assists and a goal. Sorry. <laughs> it's a worrying one because you know what it means, man. You know what it means. You know, you have an impact, so you know you're going to be back in the lineup. So I want to get your thoughts, Joe, on, on that game in particular. So as a, the game as a whole, so. When the news was starting to come out that Ruben was going to play in defence as a centre-back, and I think in the presser, I think Tuchel had alluded that a lot of players were out or had a bit of some knocks. So I wasn't looking forward to this game. I was looking at the time of the game, the pitch were playing that, and I was just looking at the lineup, and I wasn't really looking forward to it. The, the, the performance wasn't the greatest it was very sluggish I feel like a lot of players weren't comfortable and they were trying to just do their best I feel like as we got into the game more we as the end of the day we are the better team we kind of like got a bit of a grip to the game <sighs> yeah Werner yeah <sighs> 
The problem is <laughs> he had an impact on the game, but if you really watch the performance, like for the money we paid for what we expected him to give us, it's not good enough. He's just not good enough. And at this point, I feel like Tuchel won us the Champions League. He's hopefully going to get us the top four, keep us close to City and Liverpool. I feel like the board are happy with him. He has control. Like He, he can double sub players when he feels like it. So I feel like he does have control when he likes it. So as much as, yes, Werner did well in the game, I feel like we're now at the point where we can't just be risking it because he plays well in this game, we bring it back into the next game, does nothing. And then what we lose then, like we got to really now be more measured with our approach and how we an- analyse these players' performances because we don't want to keep making these same mistakes because we did this earlier in the season when he came back from injury, I believe. I think he had an impact in the game. I think he scored or assisted the next game. Back to the same or usual nonsense. With Rom, I feel like he tr- he was definitely trying more, but I wasn't impressed. I wasn't really moved by him. Callum, they're saying that he was playing through pain and it's only because of the lack of players that he played 60 minutes. But in general, he hasn't really been playing well for a while now. And yeah, his performance was forgettable. Vail looked nice off the bench. Saar was shocking. Kennedy was just vibing. He was just happy to be there. And I'll just have to give um, props to my guy Ruben, isn't it? Like, playing um, sweeper for that game. It was a bit of a shocker for me, but he looked, he looked sturdy enough. He got the assist. He was moved into midfield. He was driving from centre-back into midfield, which is what we want to see from Ruben. So, overall, forgettable game. Hopefully, we don't repeat it. And, yeah, Tuku really needs to look at the squad and look at how he goes forward and how he rotates the squad moving on because we are going to start getting into top, like, we're going to get into tougher periods where we're playing in the Premier League, we're playing in the Champions League, and it's like we want to compete on all fronts and we don't want to just be doing the bare minimum. So it needs to really be measured in this approach. Definitely, definitely, definitely agree. And obviously, you know, you mentioned, you know, in terms of team, you know, impact in that game. And obviously, you know, in terms of our running now, you know, we, we have got quite an advantage, you know, running, you know, on paper, you know, we've got... Um, Burnley on Saturday, you know, tomorrow watch probably most people are listening. And then we've got Newcastle the following week, as well as Lille midweek and Norwich, then Brentford. I know obviously on paper to a lot of people that sounds like an easy running, but we've we've seen how you know it, it worked out for the for the Mugger Mafia a lot, you know, when it came to them hoping for that, you know, that win, 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 you know, sequence. You know, you look at Burnley, I think I believe it's two wins, a draw and a loss in the last couple of games. You look at Newcastle as well, their last five games, they've got this, they've got the second best, you know, form of any team early second to Liverpool. So it really goes to show you that although these games may be easy on paper, they're not going to be they're not going to be exactly, you know, they're going to be quite tough, you know, to really get the points. You know, we've really seen our struggle, you know, against Burnley at home, you know, this season to, to get the goal, you know, against Newcastle away. We took a Reese James, you know, won the goal for us to really like get the get the goals running. So it would definitely be interesting to see how that running um, goes in. So I'm going to come to you, Abram. 
what what are your thoughts on them that they're running now? Because obviously we haven't really got any top opposition on paper anywhere as it is until I believe a match week thirty seven. So it would be a it's going to be quite a long running before we actually have any any um teams to quote unquote worry about. So what 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 are your thoughts on the running and what are your expectations of the team going into it? Um, yeah, I think the only top six side we have might be what's more called. I think we still have West Ham home and United away. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, yeah. The rest of the matches, um, I, I just don't know anymore. Like, I try my best to say, yeah, I'm not in the top four battle, I'm not in the top four battle. But I think officially, for me personally, officially, I'm gonna say today we're in the top four battle. You know, I don't know. First of all, I don't know what's gonna happen with our goal situation. Who's gonna be putting the ball in the back of the net? Like you mentioned, the game against Burnley, that was. I think we had should have been seven nil, seven nil, six nil that match. You know, Barkley missing chances, uh, Havertz, Tro missed so many chances in the 70th minute. What's his name again? Rodriguez just scores a goal. So Burnley at home with that new signing they have. What's his name? Can't even pronounce his name. I don't know, man. Workhorst. Yeah, Workhorst. Um, he. I watched the game against uh, Burnley versus United. He was. He's he's going to be a helpful. And with the you said Newcastle, Newcastle I mean great form. Everton the fighting relegation. We have a lot of relegation for them. So it just it's not as easy as people want to make it seem. It's not gonna be as easy as people want to make it seem. And with now the destabilization at the club of Roman, it looks I don't know, I'll try to be positive with that, but it's a t- proper game, it's gonna be a proper top four challenge. Definitely. Mm. And um Joe, what are your thoughts to wrap things up? Um honestly, I just need a break from Chelsea, but to be to be serious though, what I will say is that we need to really analyze all the games that we have coming up and just really, I do believe we will get top four. I expect it. That's the bare minimum. I just believe we need to look at the games and really analyze the performances and really stop worrying about just like giving out like charity minutes and performances. Like in the games where we can rotate, we rotate, but we need to be going off form and what's working with us and like we really need to we just need to get our get our shit together and just get through these games because that's there's no there's no exception there's no excuse we are Chelsea we should be in the top four and we should be in the Champions League so that's why I expect it's not going to be easy but this is what we signed up for so yeah that's how that's how I see it it's actually, I don't think there's any other way to bet around it up, you know, with the Roman era then. It's not going to be easy. This is Chelsea. And, you know, we look at it, you know, to, to read around it, from, around things up. Five Premier Leagues, five Women's Super Leagues, five FA Cups, two Conti Cups, three Women's FA Cups, three League Cups, two, two Europa League Cups, a Super Cup, two Champions Leagues, and to round it up and to fulfil the full batch of Club World Cup. Thank you, Roman. But yeah, guys. Never going to be forgotten. We'll definitely never be forgotten. But yeah, guys, thanks for joining and peace.
when ranting Doing the most True say that money is power So when you get money, keep fighting Ghost Ghost I remember when I shot my shot But I didn't have guap So I hit the post But next time it's a golden goal And it Sports Social Podcast Network